singing when we all get to heaven, and he was, uh, he felt like he was ready to load a bus. He was ready to, you know, he had a trip planned. I understand that. Uh, it is interesting. I've lived in three states the majority of my life, Georgia, Mississippi, and Indiana, and I love all of them. When I was in Indiana, I'd be homesick for Georgia and Mississippi. When I was in Mississippi, I'd be homesick for Georgia Indiana. Now I'm in Georgia, and I might be a little homesick for Mississippi or sometimes Indiana. There's a discontentment because we're not home. And I understand exactly what you're saying. And what a wonderful day that will be. And until that day, I think Candy said it so very well. Until uh, he returns and calls me home here, the power of Christ will stand. So, thanks for being here. If you could have chosen a miracle to see, which one would you choose? Kay, you get to go first. That's how I keep Kay away. I would always go over here and see. If you could choose a miracle to have seen, can you think of which one you would like to have seen? The lady that touched him was healed after so many years. The paralytic who touched the hem of his garment. Somebody else, one you would like to see? Walking on the water. Somebody had to mention that one. We'd have loved to have seen that one. Raising of Lazarus. That would have been quite a show, wouldn't it? I'd have liked to see that. Absolutely. The resurrection. You go straight to that one. Then you just say, you're going to the Old Testament, to the part of it. Anybody else? Feeding the five thousand. Feeding the uh, Baptist had to say something about feeding. <laughs> they didn't were doing that. And then you said the same one. We're going to look today at a miracle that probably wasn't going to be on your list. Uh, of all the ones that I would have wanted to see, this one does not make a top five. Today we're going to look at Jesus' first miracle. It's found in John chapter 2, and I doubt it would have been one that you picked. So let's look at what we can learn from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, before we begin. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of the purification of the Jews, containing twenty or thirty gallons of Jesus. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. They filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now. Take it to the master of the feast. They took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. He said to him, Every man from the beginning set out the good wine, and when the guests had well drunk, then the inferior. You've kept the good stuff until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray for that. 
Father, thank you for your word, and we pray that today you would open our eyes to see the truth that is there, that we would apply to our lives, to our situation. So, Father, we just ask that you would uh, open our eyes, in Jesus' name, amen. The first three verses we looked at on the third day of the wedding, Cain of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So as the story begins on the third day, that's referring to the events of chapter 1. Jesus called his disciples. Uh, this is three days after the calling of Philip and Nathaniel. So Jesus is traveling with his brand new disciples. Andrew, Peter, John, Philip, and Nathaniel are with him in this wedding. Now, in Palestine, a wedding was, it, it's a big deal as it is today. But then it was maybe the biggest deal that you could have. Weddings then would often begin in the middle of the week and last until the weekend. It began with a big luxurious feast and then it would be followed by a ceremony. But it wasn't over after the feast and after the ceremony, the festivities could last anywhere from two days to a week, depending on how much money the groom's family had. Being the father of an eligible daughter, I think it's a great idea for the groom's family to do all they can. If you were really loaded, the party could take up to two weeks. Each night there'd be a party, and night after night the bride and groom would be dressed up their bridal robes, and they were paraded throughout the village singing songs. And for the best week or two of their lives, they were treated like king and queen. John tells us that Mary was there, Jesus' mother. So it might be that she was there helping family, maybe its relatives, because there was a big problem that Mary got left in the middle of it. Maybe it's dear friends. It was a small town, most likely everybody there knew everybody there. The problem, they were out of wine. There was a long betrothal period. Engagements would last a year, maybe two. And during that time, the groom would be getting a house ready for his new bride. They'd be planning the feast because it was his family that did it. And now, they didn't plan correctly and they're out of line. And this is a disaster. And they would remember this from now on the rest of his life. If they went through with the wedding, this could have been a deal breaker. Uh, not only embarrassing, it could have led to a lawsuit from the family of the bride. It could have been bad. But even if they'd gone through with it, for the rest of his life, people would say, you remember your wedding? I was there when you ran out. It would have been a shadow over his head from that day forward. In those days, wine was basically the drink of choice for everyday living. They didn't have filters and chemicals for the water, and for health reasons, water was often more dangerous to drink than wine. Sometimes wine was all they had. And very often they would dilute the wine with water. They ran out. But don't get the idea that this is some kind of a drunken party. Drunkenness 
was a monumental disgrace in those times. The Old Testament and the New Testament both label drunkenness, not drinking, the sin. And so Jesus' answer to Mary is found in verse 4 of John 2. Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus doesn't call Mary mother here. The term we translate woman here is a term of respect that we might translate today as lady or, well, in God's deep south, ma'am, perhaps. He isn't being rude here. But he uses the word lady instead of mother because it seems that he's distancing himself from his earthly family because his ministry is about to begin. He's in effect letting people know that he's God's son and everybody needs a savior, including Mary. So Jesus says, what concern is that to you and me? loses a little something and translates it. It literally means, what is there for you and me here? What do we have in common in this situation? There's also a debate about my hour has not yet come. Jesus repeats that several times throughout the book of John. It's a phrase that in its fullness looks towards the cross, the power of his death and resurrection. And what Jesus is saying is, look, we don't have anything in common because now I'm on a divine schedule that culminates in my death and everything that leads to that. Every event, every issue, every circumstance is leading to the final hour. And Jesus didn't do something really, really public here. It's kind of low-key because this could have turned his next weeks and months into a circus. When all the vendors in town found out he could change the water into wine, they'd have been keenly interested in that. I love Mary's reply to Jesus' complicated response. Verse 5, she said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. That's pretty good advice, isn't it? Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. We know that's true. We know the opposite is also true. If he tells us to do something and we don't do it, that's a bad idea. So, when he tells you to do something, Up to this point, we don't think Jesus had done miracles. This is number one, but Mary knew that Jesus could take care of the problem. Side note, Joseph is nowhere to be found here. Uh, most scholars agree he's probably dead by now. That's interesting to me because Jesus didn't choose to heal Joseph, and he could have. Maybe it's another way to cut ties with his earthly family, or maybe it's also a lesson Heaven is preferable to Galilee, to earth. So look what Jesus does in verses 6 and 7. There were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and fill them up to the brim. These stone water pots would have been a common sight. Remember that the Jewish people would go through ceremonial cleansing. Before you ate, you washed your hands, very often feet. This was as much about ritual as it was about hygiene. Look what Mark says about this tradition in chapter 7, verse 3. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. So that's what these are for, not for drinking. 
Back to John. He said to them, Draw some of it out now and take it to the master of the feast. They took it to the master of the feast and tasted the water. It was made wine. He did not know where it came from, but the servant had drawn the water. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said, Every man at the beginning sets up the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, when they've had their full, they bring out the inferior. You've kept the good wine until now. That was the miracle water into wine. You ever notice that the miracles of Jesus are just what the people needed? They're hungry to get some food. They're deaf and they need to hear. They're blind and they need to see. They're thirsty and they need something to drink. Jesus could have done some things that would have just turned the world upside down in a different way. He could have walked into a town. And if you're in that town and you don't believe in Jesus, he could have levitated you 40 feet off the ground and said, I'll let you down when you believe. How long would it take you? Wouldn't you have seen a great revival in those days? He could have had sharks come and walk around villages saying, do you believe they're going to eat you? But Jesus, he never forces himself anywhere. I love this miracle. Look at verse 11. This beginning of signs Jesus did at Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. His disciples, his new disciples here, are pretty fired up. They were given a taste. No, not of wine. A taste of God's provision. That really we are given every day, aren't we? Doesn't God provide for us every day? That's what we call children. Don't we believe that? In verse 12 we see this. After this he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, his disciples. And they did not stay there many days. It's interesting to me that nobody else follows. If I was one of the servants and just saw Jesus turn water into wine, I think I might have made plans to go to Capernaum and follow this man wherever he went. The groom knew that maybe he should have gotten his new bride and gone. Others had to know. How could they miss the Messiah? How could they see a miracle like this and stay put? I guess we've all done the same thing. God has provided, and we all have our own stories, for ways for us that we cannot explain. We've seen so very much, and sometimes we don't follow. So what we do now, invite Jesus wherever you go. Have the faith of Mary would say whatever he says we're going to do. At work, at school, at home, wherever you are. One interesting thought, when the servants were told to fill the water pots, there wasn't a faucet or a hose or an easy way to do it, like they used a bucket a well and they had to go to a stream, creek, a spring. Did a lot of walking and sweating. I tell you this because you need to see that our obedience and perspiration 
lay the groundwork for miracles. Had they said no, what would have happened? What we're really doing is building a landing for the miracles of God. In the past week, we closed on the property across the street, the original well, the old rock church of our future growth. Not before closing, we were contacted by a church that's losing their home about meeting there. We might be able to help another church. There are wedding events that will happen there that will connect people to First Baptist Sandy Springs. There's a 15,000 square foot educational building that has all sorts of possibilities. God's taking care of all of it. We're building a landing strip and having an opportunity to watch Jesus show off. Last night, Orbit Arts Academy had Broadway unplugged. I'm standing, do I'm taller today? <laughs> I'm on a stage that's a little different than weeks past. Uh, I guess you started in April. And they had some talented people from New York here last night singing. And it was unbelievable. I don't really have words. The eight, along with First Baptist Sand Springs, are building a landing strip. So God can show off. Jesus loves to show off. And I thought this week about some stories. This one, stop and I'm going to go over here a bit. I thought this week about some stories. In college, I was in a Christian band. And in the early 80s, equipment was huge. Pianos were bigger, and speakers were bigger, and amplifiers were bigger. And if you would go somewhere, it was tough. And all our cars would be packed, and almost everybody would have to drive because their back seats in the trunk and their passenger seat were full of drums and things. We needed a bass player. And so when we were talking about a bass player, we decided to pray. And you know what we prayed for? We prayed for a bass player with a big car. <laughs> and then Tim Rhodes came, and he had a pickup truck with a camera shell on it. And I remember that from 35 years ago, and I don't want to forget when God has shown off. People I love thought about selling their house, didn't know what to do. And you know what happened to them? They got a letter in their mailbox saying, we want to buy your house. They didn't have a sign. They didn't do anything except open the mailbox. Thought it was a joke. It wasn't. It was Jesus showing off. When we were first married, <coughs> Jeannie, well, you know how wives, I can be real careful what I'm, how, how I finish that sentence. You know how they're perfect. Uh, and they want to improve their husband. She sent me to the orthodontist because I needed some dental work done. We were broke. 1983. Starkville, Mississippi, and she sent me to an orthodontist who played football for Georgia Tech named Bill Eastman. He was on their all-century team. He was a defensive back. He was extra good, became an orthodontist. 
either his dad or his father-in-law was a pastor. I was a pastor at the Ventures Baptist Church. He wondered what I did, and I told him. He gave me the braces that we couldn't afford. God was showing on. We all have our stories. We need to make sure that we give God credit. Don't miss what Jesus has done and is doing and will do. And I pray that he's building a landing ship right in the middle of your heart.